Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Um, so, we planned on doing a show last week. We did. We had like, what did we do? Three in a row? We had three in a row. We were all set to do a fourth, and then we got lazy. I, I don't think it was lazy, actually. I don't remember what distracted us. Basically not wanting to get off the couch. Are you sure it was not getting off the couch? Perhaps I was doing actual work. I, I think we ha- we had a bout of lazy and we just, we didn't. And we realized we had to do a show this week. And, and as we're discussing the weekend and realized that, A, we had to do a show this week because we didn't do one last week. We actually realized that this week was even busier than last week. And if we were smart, we would have done the show last week. But we're doing one this week. But it's a compressed show. It, it, it is um, with really a, a fairly tight, focus um the the good news however is because of the way the weekend played out in Bahrain and really what the end result was as shocking as this weekend has been because everything came out well we can joke right we're not going to joke about the event but we can joke around everything else that that happened um this weekend could have been a lot more serious and a lot uglier, um, and it it wasn't. So obviously, what we're talking about is everything that happened on Sunday, um, between the headline grabbing and attention grabbing Roman Grosjean crash, the the Lance Stroll crash, and that flip, and even to some extent, although we didn't see it, um, Sergio Perez's engine failure. Now we didn't see it because. So we learned a long time ago when we record these races, we pad the schedule. And I thought I was doing the right thing. And we pad our schedule by an hour. We keep it going um, because that's worked well for us in the past between incidents and rain that it's always been an issue. And this week, an hour was not nearly enough. No. And we lost, what, the last... 15 laps of the race no 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 we lost them maybe the last five okay because it was on lap four was when sergio perez or or four laps left in the race is when sergio perez had i distinctly remember looking up and seeing that we had hit 47 okay so we definitely were towards the close towards the end um but i had to look up the race results because our recording stopped yeah, and you know I can't get mad at the DVR this time. No, no, you you get mad at the DVR enough, but yeah. yes, um, that was not the case. Now, um, I think that the you know in under the let's not bury the lead. No, um, I think that we absolutely have to have to acknowledge, and I've heard a lot of fans take this tactic, and I have to join them. I was a Halo hater before when it first came out, and I can absolutely, absolutely support the Halo right now because, honestly, I think it saved two people's lives this past Sunday. And and this is that we know of, I think, the third or the fourth time that the Halo probably had a role, if not in outright saving somebody's life, drastically reducing injuries. I'm not sure necessarily the halo was 
as instrumental in the stroll flip because we've had car the the because of the design of the rear of that car when a car flips it does keep it up off the driver even if there was no halo so i think it was less of an issue there but f- we we would not be having having happy conversations um about roman grosjean and his incident if it was not for the halo well, absolutely. We we know for a fact, I mean, I don't even think the fire was fully put out before the praises for the Halo were coming out for Roman. But when they flipped Stroll's car back over, mm-hmm. you saw, oh, yes, you saw all of the scratches. The top structure the, was crushed. Crushed. But what you also saw were all of the structure on the Halo was also equally as crushed. So probably would have been the top it, of his it helmet. It was not crushed. Crushed. It was, it was scratched. scratched up. Um, and he was dragged across that a bit. It probably mm-hmm. would have been the top of his helmet if the halo wasn't there. But he was incredibly less injured from that crash because the halo was there. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I must apologize for my former safety uh, ignoring self. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of folks are saying that, yeah, you, you can't argue the halo at this point and and what happened um so what we know what we saw and it looks like at least according to the sky folks and i'm not even sure that that that's the case that roman decided to cut to the right to avoid the six cars in front of him that were jostling around and having issues and, and all of that stuff. I'm not sure I believe that. I, I I don't know if this was... There's a part of me that thinks that maybe it was mechanical for him to cut because he cut across fairly aggressively. There was an aggressive cut to the right. Um, there was a theory floating around, and I don't know if we've heard anything just yet about it, that there was some debris on the track mm-hmm. from a previous... like. Well, from the group in front front of him. And it looks like it probably hit one of his right side tires. Mm -hmm. So they thought that there was a puncture. You know, the debris could have done something to the suspension. It didn't look like he tried to correct when he hit um, Daniel Kvyat. I I don't know. Um, And and again, because he was already going to the right and Kvyat kind of when they made contact, his car got tossed a bit more to the right. So it was, I, I don't know. But what I can't figure out is for an evading behavior, for what that was, it seemed really odd that Roman was darting over to the right that quickly and that sharply. What it in a lot of ways reminded me of, especially with the fact that Kvyat was there, was a lot of his 2012 first lap incidents. To some extent, the it, it, the the 2012 incident in Spa that caused cars in the air, and I think that was was that Lewis flying over Fernando or Fernando flying over Lewis? Fernando was the one that did the pirouette in the air. That's what it was. Fernando flying over Lewis. Um, that it was, again, Roman, now it was much closer quarters there, but it was Roman cutting across and he had done that a lot. 
And there were questions that were being raised by David Cothard and others at the time of maybe there's an issue with Roman's peripheral vision and that's why he is losing sight of, you know, that situational awareness of what's around him. But once he had a child, he got to be a lot safer. He did. And kind of grew up a bit. I mean, after he got his one race ban, um, that changed him. And he hasn't had those kinds of incidents. So there's a part of me that says... He hasn't had those kind of incidents, but Roman has always been somewhat crash prone. He has. I mean, let's remember last year's Drive to Survive where there was an incident and it was the McLaren folks saying 20 bucks or 20 pounds, it's Roman. And sure enough, that's what it was because he does seem to have more than his fair share. He is a bit crashy. I mean, he's not Pastor Maldonado crashy. He is not at all. But he's kind of crashy. But this particular crash, that was jarring. So... I know that you're going to go through like some of the things that happened and Mm -hmm. all of those pieces. But the thing I really, really want to share is we've been watching Formula One since 2012. We've gone back and watched so many documentaries on safety and the the legacy of safety and what Jackie Stewart and that era Mm -hmm. of driver brought to the safety of Formula One. And we intellectually know that People can get hurt. People can die. We've we've had mm-hmm. Jules Bianchi die. We've had Hubert die. That things happen, and we get that. What I have yet to have experienced until yesterday, sitting there watching that race, was we watched a crash, and then we saw a ball of fire, and I watched three people instantly grab their mouth and go. <gasps> mm-hmm. And it was like every one of us went, oh no. I mean, even the crash in Spa, the the crash in Australia where Fernando went cartwheeling down the track, never had a reaction like that. And it, it was that and it was what the hell just happened because... You know, from from the initial angles that we saw and, and, and that initial instance of what happened, we saw the car hit the wall and then we saw a ball of flame and we didn't see anything else. Correct. And we'll we'll talk a bit about the coverage and because there there's questions about that. And the more I, I, I've heard Formula One's reasoning for what they did and why and how I, I gotta kinda t- take their side as much as I understand the criticism, but we'll we'll get to that. It was for the first few minutes of calling the red flag and getting all the cars in and and figuring out which Haas it was and Mm -hmm. all of those pieces and parts. I would have sworn to you, we just watched a death because it looked like... It it looked serious. I, I don't know if I would say death, but it certainly looked serious. This looked like a driver who was going to be laid up for a while was the best that, that I could come from, from what little we had seen at that point. And before you dig into that a bit more, do we want to hear directly from um, Dr. Ian Roberts and Alan Vanderwee who were there? I would love to. I'd like to finish my sentence. Though. Okay. What I saw was watching the same uh, 
Deadly Years video mm-hmm. of Jim Clark's crash of the the years when the hay bales were catching on fire mm-hmm. because it was they basically strapped on a fuel tank and ran these races and safety bar safety was a handlebar mustache and, and a leather hat yes and that's what I saw and that's why I instantly said we have seen a death and that was what I was expecting. What I was not expecting was what actually happened, which I could not be happier about. So first, and and again, because we lost the coverage, I, I don't know if we got to see it in the States, but Sky Sports, Simon Lazenby uh, sat down with Ian Roberts and Alan Vanderwee afterwards and, and spoke to them at length. We'll have the full interview at the end of the show, but I did want to play some initial comments from them. You stepped into a very uh, dangerous situation and everything did its job, and you guys in particular did your job. How was that? Just just tell us about it and how it played out from, from your perspective, Ian. Uh, <clears throat> uh, first lap, um, as normal, following, the, following them the, around, and um, just a massive flame. Um, and as we arrive, very odd, um, odd scene where you've got half a car pointing in the wrong direction, and then just a, uh, just across the barrier, um, mass, a massive heat. Um, so just the stop, and then looking to the right, and um, at that point, um, I could see uh, Roman um, trying to uh, trying to get up. Uh, we needed some way of getting to him. We've got the the. Um, the marshal there with a with the extinguisher and the extinguisher was just enough to push the flame away as Roman got got high enough um, you could then reach over and pull him over the over the barrier you did well I mean the, the, the fact that you got so close what just tell us what, what it felt like the flames as you got so close to them there in because you know these guys have got heavier suits on than you have you've just got what you're wearing now effectively um, so, could you have got, I mean, if, if it hadn't been any longer, if, if you, you got him out of there. <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> so, that's a hero well. action. Yeah. Honestly, the, that was uh, some, some bravery there. It was. My face was a bit singed. <laughs> was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got a good tan. I got a good tan, yeah. 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 What was the first thing that you said to Roman? What was the first thing he said back? Can you remember? I think I, well, I told him to sit down. <laughs> um, yeah, because he um, obviously he was uh, very shaky and um, his visor was completely opaque um, and in fact melted um, so to matter get his helmet off just to check that um, everything else was okay um, he was he'd got some pain in his foot and on his hands um, so from that point we knew it was safe enough then to move him around into the into the car just a little bit more protection get some uh, get some gel onto his uh, onto his burns um, then get him into the ambulance and off to the medical center Wow yeah, and like I said, I, I I couldn't do the comments justice. Yeah, you have to hear it from them. Um, at the end of the show, we'll have the the full interview. It's about five minutes long, um, because there is a bit more about some of the things that they checked. You know, they wanted to make sure that um, he there was no sp- smoke inhalation and there was no evidence that he sucked in any of the the fumes and everything. 
um, and, and could breathe okay and do all of those other things. They actually checked the helmet and didn't see any evidence of any kind of intrusion of any of that stuff in there and all of the other things that they checked to make sure that he was good before they bundled him away onto the ambulance. Um, the other thing that I shared on our Facebook page, you should go and take a look at it, is in 2017, I believe it was, in Singapore, the Sky Sports crew sat down with these two gentlemen again and talked about what that response actually looks like. In uh, best case, normal situation, you know, what they're looking for, the, the, the various telltale indicators that are on the car to give them an idea of what the impact was like and how much G-forces, without even having to touch the car what those g-forces look like what the extrication teams do and how they work and how they function it's a really good video uh take a look at it that's fascinating um i've always loved the statement that the safety car starts every race Mm -hmm. um and never finishes first lap and in this case i think that probably one of the big things that really really helped was that the safety car was completing was on the track and well, was seconds behind. And, and, and that was one of the other things that, that uh, in, in one of the comments that I had read was that because this happened, as much as Alan, Alan I think, was a Formula 2 champion. I mean, he, he's not an active race driver now, but he, he was in one of the series. He was one of the champions. This is now his full-time job. He's been doing this for quite a while. They said, Alan's a really fast driver. And the car that they use is kind of, it's nowhere close to Formula One speeds, especially considering that it's loaded down with all of this equipment. But Alan's a pretty fast driver. They were as close as they were because it was so early in the lap. If this had happened at turn 13, it might have been another 10, 15 seconds before they got there. Wow. Wow. I mean, turn three, that's, you're not getting any closer to Mm -hmm. that to the, that piece so that is outstanding um what else and, and we're not going to talk about anything else that happened generally in the race yeah um but what else happened around this that people may or may not know well one of the things that we did not see and, and we did know from from all the replays that we have seen we know at least one of the firefighters he wasn't really one of the the marshals he was a firefighter um, the, the two gentlemen who were wearing those black jumpsuits who, who came running out, um, they actually, they're not trackside personnel. They're from the Bahraini Defense Force. Um, word is that the Emir, whoever the head of Bahrain is, he's promoted both of those gentlemen. I think as he should. Um, but one of those firefighters who came, the, the one who came running across the track because he was on the other side, um, he apparently ran out in front of Lando Norris and scared the crap out of him. Oh. Um, now, Lando does say that, you know, they, they were in a double yellow situation, so he was going slow and he had time to react. Um, but it was a night race. There weren't, yes, there's reflective tape on them, but they're black suits that they were wearing. Lando said the only thing that he could see was the bouncing fire extinguisher. So really scared the heck out of him. We didn't see any of that. Um, Michael Massey says that, so the car split in half and the front end of the car went through the barrier, the Armco barrier. 
Um, now, the good news in, in how this worked and how this happened, there's, there's a couple of really good pieces about it. Um, one is the fact that because there was a halo there, yes, the car went through the Armco barrier and it split the barrier. The halo did its job. It protected Roman and his head in particular from intrusion from the components of that barrier and it basically forced the barrier around the cockpit of the car. In the past, when cars had done exactly this kind of a thing, uh, the driver did not, it, it wasn't even uh, a severe injury, the driver did not survive. He truly owes his life to that halo. That part's just amazing. The other thing that, you know, we, we saw the, them rip out all of the barriers and pull them away. So according to Michael Massey, and it sounds like this was a 56G impact. Ouch. Yeah, fairly fairly substantial. And, and he wasn't going full speed. He was only going at 137 miles an hour. Wait, only 137 miles an hour, I know. Um but considering that these are cars with a top speed of 200 plus miles an hour on a straightaway, and he was on a straightaway, the fact that he was only at 137 at this point, he didn't hit it at full tilt. Mm -hmm. um, but what Michael Massey has said is that while they need to do a deep investigation to figure out what they can learn, uh, because seeing a barrier split like that is not what they want to see, it split and did this because of the energy of that crash. That energy has to go somewhere. And especially at the angle that he hit, there, there's not a lot of that car to go and break apart and take that energy. So one of the things that I was listening to with Five Live, and we've talked about this a little bit, mm -hmm. um, these barriers that they're in so very many ways, especially these metal ones like what he went through, they are not necessarily designed for a front-on impact like that. Right. They're designed to divert the car and push the car along to basically absorb the impact as it pushes it along the barrier. So they're, it's yeah. more designed for a car to slide along it. Yeah, so the, the two different types of barriers that you see in place are these that are designed to kind of redirect a car. Mm -hmm. And then you've got things like the, the Tech Pro and the tires, which are designed to go and absorb, absorb that energy. Um, and, and those are put around corners and stuff like that, where it's more likely that a car is going to come at them out of control, kind of straight on, that you need to absorb it, as opposed to deflecting it. And that's what this was designed to do. Mm -hmm. So it the statement that I loved from the Five Live thing, the Five Live uh post-race podcast was the halo should have never had to do anything because the car shouldn't have split the barrier right but once you realize that the car split the barrier because the car didn't hit the barrier the way the barrier is designed for car to hit it it, it it's the knock-on effect and then you had a completely brilliant piece of of statement of that's what the halo is there for. It's there as that last line of defense when mm -hmm. everything else goes wrong. It, it, it should be a layered, and, and there's it's a lot of folks who are like, state. well, you know, all, all you talk about it is, is how great the, the halo is and, and, and it justifies it, and, but there was all these other failures, and, and that's really the big deal. And Well, yes and no, but it's, you've designed this entire safety system. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the halo that, that 
needs to get called out. And it was what we saw right away when we first started to get those first pictures of you actually saw the entire safety cell and the fact that that entire safety cell held its shape and protected him. Mm -hmm. He had a little protective bubble around him, kind of like he was wrapped in his own little bubble wrap. But you talk about it's layers of safety. And I, mm-hmm. I think that, that get, that's the lead that gets buried when we talk about, yeah. we look at the deadly years and we talk about hay bales on the sides of the track and, you know, real helmets versus leather helmets. And mm-hmm. we talk about putting wrenches, you know, they taped wrenches to their steering yeah. wheels so that they could get out of the cars. You know, all of those things, we look at some of the big sweeping changes. We talk about Jackie Stewart's big push to put uh, helicopters and ambulances on the track so they could get mm-hmm. people away and do things. Those are big things. What we forget is they wear three layers of fireproof clothing. Yes, they wear fireproof underwear. They upped the rating for the suit this year to be mm-hmm. a heavier thing, but didn't do that for the gloves, which is why he sustained a few burns on his hands. But there's the fireproof suit is a piece of that layered protection. Yep. That helmet with the attached army things underneath it, it's got a very fancy name. I can never remember. Are it. you talking the pad or are you talking the Hans device? The Hans device. That's part mm-hmm. of the safety that affected survival yeah and survival with a life afterwards because that's what protects you from breaking your neck on a 56 Mm -hmm. g impact it's all of those the headrest all of the parts and pieces of that safety cell are layers of that safety system so that you could have 17 different failures and still walk away yeah that's the important piece of this and all of that safety and so very much of that safety translates. And that's one of the things I love about Formula One is some of the stuff that they put in the safety of that car. Yeah, they don't have airbags and no, they don't have traction control and no, they don't do this and they don't do that. But they put those things and it translates into our own cars. They, tr- you know, the same things with the the hybrid systems and some of the other tech that's there goes into our cars and that's what makes this such a cool sport is this is the cutting edge stuff. Well, and we it, see it it's now. not just that. It is that also you look at the design of these tracks and the safety systems around these tracks. Yeah, we don't see that in our cars. We see that in some of the road design. Right. You see that mm-hmm. in the, you know, we have Armco barriers on our highways. We have yep. tech pro type uh, barriers. In specific places specifically designed to absorb and deflect impacts that comes from racing now one of the questions that has been raised in a couple of areas and michael mossy's already addressed it is well okay why why don't we have an impact absorbing barrier there why isn't there an armco or a tech pro or something like that and or or not armco a a tech pro or or the tires or, or or something along those lines um, and I was initially really skeptical of this idea of, well, we'll just rip out the, the Armco and put in concrete block. That <laughs> seemed kind of crazy to me. Uh, understanding now that it was more, it's more about deflection than absorbing that impact makes a bit better sense. Uh, but the, besides the fact that 
tech pro and even the tires are more expensive to do that um they're not a fail safe and, and in this case they may have been worse and what they talk about is yes it absorbs the energy but when a car goes and needles into it and, and we saw this with i think it was carlos Sainz a couple of years ago in, in sochi when a car goes nose into the barriers like this did yes that that energy is absorbed but not all of it and then it goes and it collapses forward mm-hmm. so at that point there would have been a greater risk especially with it, with a fire of having roman trapped in the car mm-hmm. that's where i think we have to give a lot of credit to track designers mm-hmm. um and the the physics of track safety because they know by looking at the angles that people should be approaching the corners, whether they need to deflect or absorb. Mm-hmm. And that's a big difference. And you can't have every corner absorb because that's not the way the angle works. <clears throat> it's it's utterly fascinating to the geek side of me. Yeah. Um, so what else did Michael Massey say? So we, we the reason why they pulled out the barrier um as opposed to trying to repair them and i was a little surprised by that too but the reason why they pulled it out was there was a lot of concern that the foundations for the existing uh armco in those areas was damaged and there was no way because of how deep they're supposed to go down uh there was no way for them to be convinced that the integrity could have been sorted out and could have been maintained in repair so they figured it was a lot easier to just rip them out and put in the concrete block than trying to replace the barriers i think that actually made sense yeah. once you kind of explain what damage they were looking at yeah um so that's why they did that now that is one of the things and we'll talk about where we go from here that's an area that they are taking a look at um a lot of the drivers are a bit upset about the fact that the car speared through. The other thing that I think Roman was very lucky about is that the car made it, the safety cell of the car made it far enough through the barrier that his exit from the car was not obstructed. You know, if I'm guessing if that car was six or eight inches less deep in there, there might have been more of an Armco barrier over his head, making it impossible for him to get out. Mm. So really good that, that that was there. And like you heard, by the time that, that they had shown up, he was already getting out of the car. According to Gunther, um, he says, Roman remembers everything about the crash. He remembers the impact. What Roman does not know, and they're really not sure what happened, is he does not remember disconnecting the steering wheel. They don't know where the steering wheel went. Whoa. But he does remember the impact and all of those various bits and pieces. Just not necessarily the details of getting out of the car. (laughs) I have a sneaking feeling that his adrenaline level was a wee bit on the high side. Yeah. Um, So, driver reaction from this. mm -hmm. Um, We saw a lot in the coverage of the drivers finally getting to see the replays and a lot of that reaction. There is going around on social media in a bunch of different areas. Um, the 
audio from all of the drivers in the immediate aftermath of the incident. So while they were still in the cars and were getting the word of either red flag and that there was an incident and the session was being red flagged or some of the drivers like Charles Leclerc who saw it happen right in front of him. Charles Leclerc was freaked out. He knew it was a really bad one right away. He was fairly freaked out over it. Daniel Kvyat freely admits that, you know, his initial reaction was he was pissed off um, because, you know, out of nowhere, Roman Grosjean just cuts across of him until there was the impact in the fire. And he was, that instantly changed to concern. Um, There's a lot of either drivers catching right away from when they're told that the session was being red flagged and the engineers telling them big incident at turn three or drivers seeing the fire or of who is it? What happened? Did they get out? Are they a lot of those questions from every single driver, but one. This is, I think you get sick pleasure out of the fact that it's your most hated driver who didn't ask. My, my problem is, is as I was listening to the recording from the minute that, and, and the recording picked up with this driver, he was involved in some of the scuffles around this. And the recording picked up during some of those scuffles. And I know he was focused on that and it was adrenaline on that. So his initial reaction was around that. And then he gets told red flag and all of the stuff about how to set the car, where to go, you know, go into the, going to come around into the, the fat, into the pits, stay in a pit lane, leave five meter, you know, getting all of those instructions. And there's that, all of that conversation and not once, and this is Lance Stroll I'm talking about, not once did Lance go, hey, what happened? Hey, there's fire. What's going on? None of that. No concern whatsoever for anything else that was going on. Every other driver on the grid, if they, they saw it, they wanted to know who it was. They wanted to know if, it, if they got out, if they were okay. If they didn't see it, initially it was what happened, what's going on, or they didn't see it. They got the word of the red flag and then see the fire and go, what, you know, what's happening? Who are they? Okay. All of those questions, nothing from Lance Stroll, not a peep. I had nothing. I can't defend. You can't defend that. I can't defend him, but I also can't, I'm not in his head. I don't know what his thought process was. The, the benefit of the doubt side makes me want to say, okay, Lance is in the moment and his feeling was, I'm not going to ask questions because it's probably bad enough that I'm going to hear really bad news and I just need to get this car parked. Um, and maybe that's what it was. I, I, You don't know what but, is in his head. But even Lewis, you know, he gets told red flag and... There, there's about a second pause and it's, um, I see the fire, what's happening? But you and I both know Lewis is a completely different human being than yeah. Lance Stroll. Lewis is also almost, he's over 10 years older than Lance Stroll. He's mature than Lance Stroll. Yeah. He's, he's got history with these people. He's driven with them longer all of those things. I mean, you you told the story about Kimmy's reaction. 
Well, okay. So, so Kimmy's reaction, Kimmy asked in the recording three times from his engineer, what, what was going on? What happened? Is he okay? Kimmy saw what happened. Um, he gets the call from the engineer that red flag and, and start changing engine modes and all of that. And Kimmy's like, got it. What happened? Is he, is, is he okay? Or who was it? Did he get out? And the engineer is giving him more instructions. And Kimmy asks again. And the engineer is giving him more instructions. And Kimmy asks a third time. And finally, I was waiting. at, And you could hear Kimmy was starting to get a bit spun for Kimmy. He's starting to get a little bit spun. He's not getting an answer to, to the question. I was waiting for Kimmy to start yelling at his at his engineer. Yeah. Because it felt like that was building. But... For all you know, I mean, I, I, I hesitate to say I know what Lance was thinking. That I, I, I don't know that. What I know is he didn't ask when all of the other drivers were still driving and asking. That is what you can condemn him on. But understand, people process things differently. For yeah. all you know, he looked at that fireball and was utterly convinced he was going to face somebody had died. And he couldn't deal with it in that moment. That's all. I mean, for all you know. I don't know. I know you hate him. <laughs> it, it, it just, it, it struck me how all the video, everything that we saw, the, the audio, all it, it was all, you know, glad to hear Roman's okay. You know, mm-hmm. what's happening? What's going There was concern in the moment for the other drivers on the track and recognition that something bad had just happened and need to know and didn't hear that from him. Now, I will not condemn Lance for the lack of comments post-race because we heard from every other driver but Lance and Roman post-race. I will not condemn Lance for that because, you know, let's face it, he... The, the race started. He got flipped over and was in an incident. Him not being fit for public consumption at that point, uh, I can understand. So I'm not going to condemn him for that. But during the race, the, the d- during the red flag period that they're coming back and cooling the car down, that there was nothing of what's going on, what do we know, anything. And some drivers were pushing harder than others of give me information Mm -hmm. while they were still in the car. Um, And I think a lot of that had to do with where they were in relation to the incident and what they saw. But yeah. Now it's, it's a bit different if you see him go in the wall and burst the car burst into flames versus Roman put his car in the wall. We're red flagging. The yeah. race. I mean, that's two different things until they see the fireball. And it's a night race, so the fire, like, you could see it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, in terms of Roman's condition. So, we do have a, a, a short statement from the team that Roman is continuing his convalescence at the Bahrain Defense Force Hospital, having remained there overnight following Sunday's incident at the Bahrain Grand Prix. Treatment on the burns Grosjean sustained on the back of both of his hands is going well. Grosjean was visited by Gunther Steiner, team principal of the Haas F1 team on Monday, and is anticipated he will be discharged from the care of the hospital on Tuesday, 1st December. 
Nice. And we know Jean Todd was there as well. Um, don't know who else was there, but we know that those two both visited. Roman does appear to be in good spirits. Um, he has already released at least one, if not more than that, uh, photo of himself in a hospital room, both in and out of bed. Um, he appears to be smiling on, in all of the pictures. Now, what I don't know is how many of that, how much of that smile is more for his family than anybody else. But those pictures have been released, um, and he did put out a statement thanking everybody and saying that yeah, he's he's a believe a believer in the halo now. <laughs> yeah. So, in the immediate time around this, um, there's been some criticism around the video and the replays that we saw. Um, with, in particular, Daniel Ricardo being the most upset. Really? Because honestly, now, I'm not related to Roman, but honestly, I thought they did a really good job of not showing some of it and not showing things until they knew what the outcomes of all the people were. Well, so so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that decision process and, and what was decided at the track and why they made the decisions they did to, to broadcast one. But first, let, let's hear Daniel's comments. Okay. So Daniel said, I want to express my disgust and disappointment with F1. The way the incident of Grosjean was broadcast over and over, the replays over and over, it was completely disrespectful and inconsiderate for his family, for all of our families watching. For me, it was entertainment and they're playing with all of our emotions and I thought it was pretty disgusting. Whoa. Yeah, very raw emotions. Now, a spokesman for F1 explained the protocols in place and, and why they aired what they aired when they aired. And, and it was done in a very specific order, but there is a protocol for this. So according to the spokesman, he said, firstly, at F1, this isn't about entertainment. And a few procedures and protocols are in place before any decision to run a replay is made. Following an accident, all onboards, helicopter feeds, etc. are cut. There is direct comms between race control and the broadcast center. No footage is shown until there is confirmation that the driver is okay. On this occasion, at this point, F1 showed Roman with the ambulance, helmet off, and walking with aid. No replays of an accident are shown until there is approval and confirmation from race control and the FIA that all persons are safe driver, marshals, and doctors. Replays then started. The context of what a viewer sees and hears with the commentary is important. With them talking about the safety of Roman, the halo, FIA safety improvements, and updates from the medical center. There is constant dialogue between F1, FIA, race control, and sound judgment on viewers, families, and those affected. Um, And Gunther Steiner was asked about the criticism as well. And he said, you know, you can have two opinions here. But my opinion is if it ended lucky and nothing bad happened, why not show it to make sure people understand? Yeah, it was bad, but everybody is okay. That was how to deal with it. We wanted to get the news out as soon as possible to the people. Roman is okay just because it's difficult to contact family, friends, people who know us, and people of the team. If we sent one message via TV and something like this, it's much more powerful. I think showing it and showing him jumping out, yeah, it looks a little bit dramatic, but it ended good. So as long as it ends good, I'm fine. For sure, if something bad happens, it shouldn't be shown. I'm not an expert in TV ethics, but in my opinion, a good thing was shown. 
It was a bad accident, but we got lucky and everything ended okay. I wouldn't say good because things like this don't end good. It was just okay. Well, I mean, A, it's a little sad and kind of awesome that they actually have a protocol Mm -hmm. that they're not going... I can trust from this point forward knowing very confidently that they are not going to show me somebody dying. Yeah. That's a good feeling. Like, point blank. Yeah, and... and you know, as we were watching it, it, it was one of the things that, that I had remarked on was, yeah, we saw that initial footage of the live as it happened. And then we didn't go back and we didn't go back for a while. And yes, there was in-car footage. There was in-car footage from everybody else, everywhere else around the track. Mm-hmm. And there was footage in the pit lanes and it was fo- footage of where the cars were on the track away from. There was no footage at all of the incident and anything that was going on. And it wasn't for a while. And I even said to you at that point that, you know, this this can't be good that we haven't gone back yet. Because normally when there's an incident, they're pretty quick to go back. Right. Because in a few seconds, somebody mm-hmm. is popping out of the car. And the minute they can show somebody walking around and saying, okay, yeah. driver's okay. It's going to be all right. They want to do that. Because I, I mean, we all know that's actually the fastest way his family knew yep. he was okay. Well, and it was the same for us. And, and that was the first thing that I said is he's out of the car and he's conscious. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge sign right there. Right. And honestly, out of the car and conscious, everybody on our couch was like, no way. It, 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 well, it was no way, but it was also, there was a huge sigh of relief mm-hmm. all the way around. Um, now, I honestly think that the footage of him getting extract, well, extracting himself and hopping over that Armco barrier in the flame, mm-hmm. that was pretty powerful and awesome in both being able to see it, see what he could mm-hmm. do. And, you know, that's proof that all the safety things, like, they all worked together. But there was just something about watching him run and hop over that was like, he's going to be okay. Yeah. And you almost needed that piece. Like, yes, I saw him in the car. Yes, I saw he was talking and everything. But I saw him walk to the stretcher before they put him in the ambulance. I mean... Mm -hmm. You saw all of that first. The, the fact that you, you were able to see that he was not extricated from the car. He got out of the car out of his own power mm-hmm. sent a very big message. And, and I agree that it needed to be shown, especially once they knew that, that he was okay, showing that he could get out of the car and showing the, the efforts of the crew to help him and to knock those flames down to pull him out. That needed to that story needed to be told and that needed to be shown again from that perspective of reassurance. And then comes that next piece of showing the additional video of the incident and the various angles. Because the next question everybody had, and it didn't matter whether you were sitting at home or you were standing on the the pit wall, was what just happened. Right. Because we are not used to we are used to Cars having their wheels ripped off of them, the mm-hmm. wings ripped off, the 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 safety cell being the only thing left. And of we've that seen car. we've seen that too. We've seen that. What we are absolutely not used to seeing anymore is cars up in flames. 
cars up in flames, cars ripped in half, or embedded into a barrier like that. And all three, mm-hmm. definitely not. Um, I mean, the statement from Five Live was, we've gotten used to seeing fire, but it's always small. It's yeah. always... You know, it spits cont- out the back. It spits out the back. It's the brakes are on fire. There's mm-hmm. a little magnesium fire somewhere. But, you know... Yeah, there was one of those this weekend, too. Right, that's why I called it out. <laughs> but it was... There's not car in flame. Mm-hmm. That, that That's not what happens anymore. You, you don't have fireballs. And that's where... That's where I think a lot of the questions are going to be around is what what were the chain of events that caused us to get to fireball? Like we understand why the car broke in half. We mm-hmm. understand why it went through the barrier, at least at a high level. What I don't understand is the flame. Now I did hear that it's probably not the fuel tank itself, but probably a connection. Well, th- so there's some confusion. And, and again, a lot of it is we just don't know. We haven't gotten that forensic look. So Ross Braun has... And, and we knew this anyway, but Ross Braun started given a little insight into next steps here. Um, the FIA and Haas together, since it's their car, will launch an in-depth investigation of what happened and to understand where this was. We, we've I've heard three different sources for the fuel and to be this much fuel and this big. And this is why I think folks just don't know. Some have said that it's the, it was the fuel collector because there's two liters of fuel in there. And maybe this amount of fire is in line with two liters of fuel. I don't know. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I can't tell. Um, some other folks have said, we've heard on Five Live, that maybe it was a connector that came free. And that was the fuel was being fed from the fuel bladder. But there's also the question of, was that fuel bladder punctured in the traveling through the barrier? We don't know. Yeah. Um, hopefully we will know more. And again, it truly is a bladder. It's, it's a rubber barrier. It's a rubber bladder that basically is squeezed into the remaining crevices of the car and then filled with fuel. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not your mama's gra- gas tank at yeah. any stretch of the imagination. Now, one of the things that was an early question from me is, they've got a back-to-back race. Mm-hmm. And I know that because of, of cost savings and things like that, they can have a spare car at the track, but it's in pieces. So there's some mechanics putting something together. Yeah, but, but the good news is that since they're not going anywhere... The mechanics have a week in the garage with all the stuff. You know, this is this isn't like it, it happened in free practice one and you've got to get the car rebuilt in time for qualifying the next day. Yeah. They have got some time to deal with this and and, and sort that out. Um, plus they have time if they need to go and ship parts across back from either Canapolis or they do have I think it's in Bamford is is the base, because I think it's the old Marusha base from one of the bases they can ship parts over to. So th- there's there's options there. Um, I could walk down to Ferrari and pick up some stuff too. Yeah. So what has officially been announced is that Roman, un- unsurprisingly, will not be racing next weekend. Uh, Pietro Fittipaldi has been named as uh, the replacement driver for next weekend. I'm thinking 
it's probably going to be the following weekend as well. So my prediction is that Pietro will be driving this weekend and next weekend as well. However, I'm betting that Roman will do everything in his power to be trackside for at least one, if not both of those races. Yeah. Now, they talked extensively. So the injuries that we know got reported were that he had burns on his hands, Mm -hmm. something around his feet. They were talking about possibly his ankles. You said that there was a theory that maybe he lost a boot. There's some confusion around one of his race boots. And it certainly looked like when they pulled him over the barrier that he was missing a race boot. And you'll hear in the interview, Alan Vander, we mentioned that um, Roman was missing a boot. But at some point, it looks like he has two on. So I don't know what that was. And and maybe it was a matter of they got him over the fence and it came off or something. I don't know. Um, And then they also talked about uh, possibly a broken rib. That looks like... Maybe um, bruised. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking it may be bruised. I haven't heard anything else about a broken rib, uh, especially in a statement that we got from the team is that there there's burns, but there's no mention of any other injuries. So, Well, from personal experience, having multiple degree burns uh, in my life, those are not, they're, they're painful. Neither is fracturing a rib. That hurts like hell too. Well, yes, but even, and even bruising a rib hurts like hell. But, and I, you know, there was a, another driver that had a rib injury at one point, and I don't think they let him race, or they talked a lot about whether or not he was going to be able to race because of the compression of the mm-hmm. safety belt. Um, so it may be, you may be right that he's going to have to set out these just from the standpoint of he won't pass medical, but I don't think he's going to feel like being able to hold the steering wheel Depending on where the burn is. Yeah, they're saying the back of his hands. But even still, just moving. Like, think about your skin. It moves. Yeah, it, 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 it's not flexible right after getting burned. It, to, to be fully honest with you, in yeah, it sucks to, to have to end potentially and most likely your Formula One career in this fashion. But for Roman and to some extent for Haas as well, there's nothing in play here. Mm-hmm. Th- this is not a Nikki Lauda moment where, you know, you need to heroically crawl back into the car. Right. You, you Unfortunately, you weren't in a competitive situation. There's no points to be gained here. There's no value in Roman coming back other than a PR thing. And I don't think that's worth it. I would hope that he does not succumb to a PR thing. Um, so do you have, so, so just the, the last bits that we have of, you know, is what happens next. So as we mentioned, there's going to be an accident into basically forensic understanding of exactly what happened, why the car broke the way it did, why it caught fire, why the barriers reacted the way they did with potential findings coming out to understand if there are redesigns that need to happen in any of the safety cells and any of the other bits and pieces around that. So that's number one. Um, the, the barrier, like I mentioned, that that's going to need to get looked at. Um, they're going to need to look at why the car deformed and did it do as it was supposed to do. Um, and like we mentioned, why did the, the wreckage catch fire? And 
evaluating the safety structures. Did they do as they were supposed to? And the last piece is, is there anything to learn about how, how the marshals reacted? Do they need to make changes there in that immediate piece? Do they need to get a faster car for the medical? I don't know. Those, those are all things that, that they're going to go and take a look at and understand um, and see where we go from there. The, the one thing, and, and, and I say it kind of, it's a, it's a sentiment that I think is important. And I don't say this to belittle anything that has happened. But I do think that it's a shame that um, Dr. Sid Watkins and Charlie Whiting we're not here to see this because what happened and the performance of the cells and the fact that Roman Grosjean walked away from this, it is because of their efforts and everything that they have done. And truly everything around this, all of the artifacts, the the, the wreckage, the bits and pieces of the rail... All of that should go to FIA headquarters and be put on display in tribute of them and what they've done. Well, Sid and and Charlie are not with us anymore, but Jackie Stewart is. And Jackie was very much part of the transition. He, He drove the focus and the realization that safety needed to be important. Mm hmm. But in terms of all of those technologies and all of those developments, oh yeah, that the the development that Sid of it, and 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 but the and Charlie, but the the impetus that said drivers weren't expendable, yes, started with Jackie and Jackie's era of driver, and so this goes back to him and what he put in place mm-hmm. to remind people that we didn't have to lose an F one driver every weekend, yeah. Um, so no, it's I don't think it's flipping at all. I think that it's it's a credit to all that F one has done over the last thirty years, um, and especially even the last five years. So after that, you know, now we have to look forward to the Bahrain Squirrel Race, the oval esque ovoid square circle <laughs> roundy bit so when i say can you square that circle i'm talking about bahrain's new track well, well not new track new the, old track the the the, re, the revised outer configuration <laughs> so we're gonna square that circle <laughs> on the revised outer configuration all righty and on that note we'll call it a show Welcome back. Alongside me, two heroes from today. They won't be saying it themselves, but everybody else is, so we'll say it on their behalf. Ian Roberts and Alan van der Merwe, doctor and driver of the medical car. Guys, today you stepped into a very uh, dangerous situation and everything did its job, and you guys in particular did your job. How was that? Just just tell us about it and how it played out from, from your perspective, Ian. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, first lap, um, as normal, following the following them uh, around, and um, just a massive flame. Um, and as we arrived, very odd um, odd scene where you've got half a car pointing in the wrong direction, and then just a, uh, just across the barrier, um, mass a massive heat. Um, 
So just the stop and then looking to the right, and um, at that point, um, I could see uh, Roman um, trying to uh, trying to get up. Uh, we needed some way of getting to him. We've got the the, um, the marshal there with a with the extinguisher, and the extinguisher was just enough to push the flame away as Roman got got high enough. Um, we could then reach over and pull him over the over the barrier. You did well. I mean, the, the, the fact that you got so close. What, just tell us what, what it felt like, the flames, as you got so close to them there, Ian, because, you know, these guys have got heavier suits on than you have. You've just got what you're wearing now, effect, effectively. Um, so could you have got... I mean, if, if it hadn't been any longer, you, you got him out of there. <laughs> it was... Uh, that's a, that's a hero well. action. Yeah. Honestly, the, that was some, some bravery there. It was. My face was a bit singed. I was yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> got a good tan. I got a good tan, yeah, yeah. 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 Alan, I know that, I mean, you obviously you drive in behind these things. You would have seen it. It would have been instinctive. I know having talked to you guys a lot in the past around the world, did you just, did you just know instinctively what to do when, when that happens and you kind of just go into, into that mode? Um, a, a little bit. A lot of this is, is preparation, but, I mean, when you get to something like this, we've not seen this combination before. I've not seen fire like this in, in, in my sort of stint as the medical car driver. So a lot of it is, uh, is new and unknown territory. So um, we can only be as prepared as, as sort of our own ideas. You know, we, we do a lot of checklists and a lot of uh, scene prep, you know, talking about scenarios. Um, but this was crazy, honestly, to get there and see half of the car and the other half nowhere to be seen and just a huge ball of flame. So you have literally seconds to, you're, you're thinking on your feet. Um, so preparation only gets you so far, and then after that, there's a lot of sort of instinctive and uh, and a bit of uh, yeah, quick thinking. What was the first thing that you said to Roman? What was the first thing he said back? Can you remember? I think I, well, I told him to sit down. <laughs> um, yeah, because he um, obviously he was uh, very shaky, and um, his visor was completely opaque um, and in fact melted. Um, just a matter of get his helmet off, just to check that. Um, everything else was okay. Um, it was, he'd got some pain in his foot and on his hands. Um, so from that point, we knew it was safe enough then to move him round into the into the car, just a little bit more protection, get some uh, get some gel onto his uh, onto his burns. Um, then get him into the ambulance and off to the medical centre. Oh, what was the initial? I mean, could you tell straight away, for example, that that I mean, we understand it's second degree burns, that there's there's damage to his ribs, but overall, that it was because I mean, it's a big G in that impact as well. That I presume you're you're looking at head trauma. And when we've discussed this, and when we were, we did that thing with you in Singapore, that's one yeah. of the first things you've got to check for, isn't it? Well, I mean, from that sort of thing, it's, it's, it's going to be flame, smoke inhalation, airway yeah. issues. Um, but in fact, um, nothing went up into his helmet. I, I, We've had a look at uh, the helmet as well, um, but certainly looking at looking at him clinically, we're quite happy with him from a sort of um, life life-threatening uh, injury uh, point of view. Um, and then it was just trying to make him comfortable from those uh, the, the, the the injuries that we could actually see. Alan, just just finally one from you. I know you have to. You guys spend a lot of time together. I know that he's, it's dinner almost every Some night. Say the same. Too much. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but I mean that's the thing that the dynamic between you. You've been doing this a long time now. This yep. is what you train for, and it was wonderful to see that you know you managed to come out of this unscathed, and everybody did. Yeah, look, I think that that's it is teamwork, and ultimately, sometimes Ian has to rely on me and vice versa. And today, everybody just kind of did their bit. Um, even Roman, you know, Roman did a huge yeah. amount. 
the fact that he was able to get out of that, you know, himself as well, you know, part part way, and the fact that his shoe came off, and just all of these small things, like one of those things changed, and it could have been a very different outcome. So yeah, today definitely all the teamwork, all the prep, it, it feels worthwhile. Well done, guys. Honestly, on behalf of everybody, heroes today, amazing stuff. Honestly, really did uh, save uh, save the man.